Hello? Yes? Um, looking around today, some of you have known me far too long. Others don't know me at all. So I uh, come to you as an elder from Unley Park Baptist Church. Uh, and I, um, uh, we've been going there for about 20 plus years. So uh, we bring greetings from Unley Park and, uh, and hope that, uh, that uh, you'll continue to flourish in this place. It's nice to see so many here this morning. Now, I've been told that I've got 20 minutes to speak, so we'll get into it pretty quickly. So last week, what did we look at? We looked at who the Creator is. And uh, we saw a few things, uh, a few features of the Creator. I've got it written down here somewhere. Um, so from Genesis 1, we are introduced to the Creator God. We saw that he was the sole sovereign initiator of all things, who speaks a word and brings order out of chaos. We saw that the Creator is reliable, who made everything good, functioning exactly as he purposed. And we saw that the Creator seeks relationship with humans, created in the image of God. So like God, we are called to bring order out of chaos in the life and circumstances we find ourselves in. So we move on to Genesis chapter 2. And here the question is answered for us, the most basic question of life. Who are we? What purpose and meaning can we take into life? Recently, I was in an op shop. Lynn and I like to visit op shops. And I picked up this book. It's called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He means human search for meaning, of course. Who was Viktor Frankl? Well, he was a German-Jewish psychiatrist who was sent to a concentration camp by the Nazis during World War II. And this book describes in harrowing detail uh, the details of camp life in a concentration camp. You wouldn't want to read this or pick this up and read it just before going to bed at night. It's very disturbing and upsetting. Let me just tell you a little bit, though, because it's a long way before we're going to bed at night, um, some of the details. Uh, they were given ragged clothing and shoes that didn't fit. They had to look around for bits of wire to hold the shoes together. They were given inadequate food, uh, a piece of bread and watery soup uh, as their daily requirement. That, that's not going to feed anyone. They were forced to trek for kilometres in freezing conditions for hard physical work. Sadistic guards inflicted inhumane cruelty on the inmates and frequent death from disease and malnutrition occurred. Frankel estimated that there was a 1 in 28 chance of survival. 
So how could anyone find meaning in such circumstances? Well, Frankel did survive. He went to live on until 1997. And he did find meaning. Now, here's a quote that he quotes in his book, uh, if we can have it overhead, uh, from Friedrich Nietzsche. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. So a why to live for, that's meaning and purpose in life. The how was the harrowing details of uh, camp life in a concentration camp. Even in the most bizarre and cruel circumstances, Frankel planned for a future. He planned to be returned from this torture that he was facing in the concentration camp. He planned what he would do with his life. So when he was sent to uh, the concentration camp, he tried to hide a manuscript of a book that he wanted to get published. But of course the Nazis found it and they confiscated it. So Frankel uh, came down with a bout of typhoid and he was not required to do the hard physical work for a few days and he found scraps of paper and he started to remember some of the details of his book and he hid those under his shoes and all sorts of ways and he brought them out of prison and eventually he wrote this book to find how we can have meaning in life. As I said, in Genesis 2, we find answers to life's intended meaning. What did the Creator mean for us to experience in our lives? Who are we? What purpose and meaning can we know in life? What meaning of, uh, for life did the Creator intend for us? How can God's blessing unfold in our lives? So we get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4, and it seems like a heading for a second creation account. So we read in verse 4, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Back in chapter 1 and verse 28, we read, God blessed them. What does it mean that God has blessed humans? Now, to be blessed is to receive the gracious favour that God bestows on his creation. In Genesis 2, we see how this blessing operates. So the blessing is the link between Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2. So why did the Creator create an image-bearing creature like us? What unique characteristics did the Creator intend for his creature? Firstly, I want to say that the Creator intended humans to find meaning through our relationships. You see, we are creatures in relationship. 
Genesis 1 verse 27 and 28, I'll repeat it again. So the Lord God formed man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Then those surprising words, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. We've increased in number today with about 7 billion people on the face of this planet all trying to eke out existence. But sexual differentiation is part of the image-bearing creature from the beginning. We find our identity as dependent creatures in God's image through our relatedness to one another. And the male-female relationship is the primary distinction in this human fellowship. Our sexuality then is evidence of our godlikeness. There's a couple of subpoints I want to make. The sexes were created to be equal partners in life. So we read in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now that Hebrew word helper is interesting. It's never used in scripture to designate an inferior person. In Psalm 146 and verse 5, God is said to be a helper. In our passage, it doesn't say that the woman is told to be a helper in a particular way. Uh, For example, as the one who cares for young children or the keeper of the home, to mention two common female stereotypes. And conversely, it doesn't say in our passage that the man is told to be a helper in a particular way as a provider and protector. Common male stereotypes. So the roles played by the sexes, whether in marriage or in the extended family or even in the workplace or the church, should not be, should not be assumed but should be negotiated. We can only enjoy that relationship when it is based on a true partnership of equals. So the humans are commanded by the creator to be fruitful and increase in number. In Genesis 2, that's not possible until the woman is made from Adam's rib and is brought to him. At last, the man has the partner that he craved for. Here's a Wonderful statement from Peter Lombard who lived about a thousand years ago. Gee, that's older than me. He says, Peter Lombard says, Eve was not taken from the feet of Adam to be his slave, nor from his head to be his lord, but from his side to be his partner. Do we treat the other, particularly guys, do we treat the other as an equal The second point that I would make under this heading is, though different, the sexes complement each other and are interdependent. You see, nobody is created for solitude. We're all made for sociability, and this involves us in supplementation. Now, what do I mean? 
we have this desire to supplement our aloneness by interdependence of the sexes. And that's not easy. There's one very popular way in which this interdependence of the sexes is lived out, and of course it's marriage. So I just want to say a few words about marriage. It's the example of supplementation that our author uses in Genesis 2 and verse 24. Let's read that again. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. I want to unpack that just for a minute. There's a couple here that are recently married or going to get married, so I'm not quite sure of the details. So at the very beginning, the Creator um, created marriage to be a permanent, lifelong, exclusive partnership between a man and a woman. Jesus endorsed this specific relationship, and so must we. Now, when we see that verse, we see that the man is the initiator. But this never means... Oops, I lost my place. Pardon me. Man is the initiator. Doesn't mean making all the decisions, calling all the shots, ruling the roost. It doesn't mean that at all. In this verse, in actual fact, he initiates by self-sacrifice. He leaves his father and mother. Biblical love has an emphasis on self-sacrifice. The supreme example of self-sacrifice, of course, is Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. As married believers, the goal of human love becomes the spiritual growth of the other. This means a long-term commitment to the one loved. Loving the other also means setting them free so that love can be freely reciprocated. Exercising control over the other, treating them as inferior or forcing them to do what we want robs us of the possibility of intimate love, leaves us frustrated and desperately alone. Domestic violence sadly often ensues. It's time for me to get on to a couple of other extremely important points in Genesis 2. What other unique characteristics does the human creature have? And we say that secondly, the creator intended humans to find meaning through our care for the environment. We are to be the creator's assistant managers. Back in uh, chapter 1 and verse 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, etc., etc. And the Creator assesses this as very good. To subdue and rule over creation leads to the use of the environment for human benefit and for the benefit of all creatures, surely. 
humans have work to do, it says in our passage. Genesis 2 places us uh, or the human creatures in a garden in, in the east, in Eden, to work and care for it. The big question for us as Christians, I believe, is how can we subdue and rule over creation in a way that honours the Creator? We were designed to find meaning through care for and work in the environment. Now against some popular misconceptions, the Bible teaches proper care for the environment to sustain its usefulness for all generations to follow us. Next week we'll see a little bit why that is not so in our world today. The Bible does not endorse unrestricted exploitation of our environment environment to maximise profit. See, human greed is the problem. And that's not the biblical creator's intention. One more thing before we close. The cre- Thirdly, I want to say the creator intended humans to find meaning through our choices. We must decide to obey the Creator. You see, God is no tyrant. He wants humans to freely choose to live His way. He's given us free will right from the beginning of creation. In our reading, you would have noticed that there were two trees that were prominent in the garden. Firstly, the tree of life. The tree of life has fruit that extends life. Regular access to the tree could extend life indefinitely, thus eventuating in virtual immortality or at least perpetual life. Its fruit can constantly counteract Aging, and I would love that fruit to be available today, but in Genesis 3, we read that it's no longer available to us. If only there was an elixir of youth available today. I particularly need it. Could show you a picture of me taken 40 years ago, and you'd laugh at the degeneration of this human being. You know, we're aware of antioxidant properties of certain fruit and vegetables. We know that regular exercise and good sleep patterns are essential for good health. And we have access to better medical advice and medications than ever in human history. But perpetual life eludes us today. Even our beloved Queen could only make it to 96 Why is death inevitable for us? You'll have to come along next week to find out why. The other tree in the garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This tree represented the total range of knowledge known only to God. This tree represents the whole spectrum of what is both 
beneficial and detrimental to humans. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil seems to contain something people are inclined to desire, to gain wisdom. The tree was attractive to the first couple, but if they ate its fruit, they would discover what a life independent of the Creator would feel like. Would they be enticed? Stay tuned for next week. A choice has to be made. We must decide. Would the humans remain obedient to God's command or would they be enticed by what is forbidden? Next week we'll look at why such appealing knowledge would be detrimental to humans. Okay, it's time to summarise. The Sunday school kids are going to be in in a minute and I'm still going. In Genesis 2 we have the Creator's intended meaning and purpose laid out for us. We found in Genesis 2 that we are creatures in relationship. Genesis 2 calls us to work out a sensitive, non- or exploiting relationship with significant others in our life, be it in the home, at study or work, or in the church. Secondly, we are to be the Creator's assistant managers. This involves us in careful decisions about how we use the environment. It involves careful decisions about sourcing our energy needs, about disposal of our waste, about thoughtful consumption. I could go on and on, and we will enlarge on the care for the environment next week. Thirdly, we must choose to obey the Creator. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to seek the Creator's intention for our lives. Now, of course, only Jesus, the perfect human, has lived out that intention completely. Friends, if Viktor Frankl can find meaning in the midst of the darkest of human situations, so can we who live in modern, affluent, democratic Australia freely able to worship our God. May we know the Creator's intention in our experience of life and all its diversity. So next week, we ask the question, what has gone wrong with the image-bearing creature and in what ways has the blessing been modified because of the desire to have it all and live independently of the Creator? Why don't we pray? Lord God, our creator, we thank you for the revelation of your word. Without it, we would be in the dark. But you have shone a light in our life. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect human existence. Thank you that he showed us the supreme example of love. Thank you for the relationships that he showed in his life and 
in his death and in his rising. And may that life come to us as the Holy Spirit speaks to us in his church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.